This is Daniel Fugell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. In this episode, there's two important reasons to tune in. Number one, we're talking about a transition from light involvement with data and data science to a much more deep involvement, a transition that many enterprises will go through in many of their AI deployments. In other words, there's a lot of transferable lessons in the adoption ideas we talk about today. Number two, we bring back an analogy from some three and a half years ago in a great past interview, uh, which we call the lasagna versus pizza analogy. I'm going to have to leave you hanging on that and listen to the episode to be able to find that one, but it's a key dynamic to the adoption of artificial intelligence and one that we touch on today in this episode. Our guest this week is Matt Berseth. He is the co-founder and CIO of NLP Logics. NLP Logics is an AI services firm servicing both the public and private sector based down in Florida, very fast growing. And Matt speaks with us this week about leveling up data-powered products. So what does it take to get a current digital product, something maybe hosted online that users use, maybe internal users in an enterprise, maybe our customers out in the world, and eventually make that application smarter? How do we take the data being leveraged by that product and use it to maybe help the user save time or give them more convenience or open up new capabilities? It is a gradual process. It is not all done at once. And we talk a little bit about how to play at the surface and leverage data, learn lessons from that surface level, and then go deeper and rebuild some of the core components of a product. There's a way to do that willy-nilly, and there's a way to do that in a smart kind of trajectory. And Matt does his best to articulate that smart trajectory from much of his rich experience in this space. So if you have digital solutions that are on their way to becoming more data enabled, uh, possibly more layered with AI to unlock new capabilities, this might show you a little bit around the corner as to what that path is going to look like. I think Matt does a pretty good job of painting that picture. This episode is brought to you by NLP Logics. To learn more about Emerge Media and what we do with AI services firms who want to reach a global audience, stay tuned to the end of this episode. But without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Matt Berseth, the CIO of NLP Logics, here on the AI and Business Podcast. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for thank you for having me. Appreciate being on here with you. All right. Well, we're we're diving into a topic that has a good analogy. You and I have talked about this off microphone already. This is actually an analogy I've ethically stolen from one of our past guests uh, in, on our financial services show, who talked about AI being uh, when AI first finds its way into some kind of a digital product or environment, it begins as extra pizza toppings on top of the pizza. We just kind of throw it on top. We're working with whatever data we have on top. We're kind of layering it, and at some point we decide we need to bake a lasagna. We need to have the goodness of all these different ingredients actually baked into the core to unlock more capability to make our our product better for our customers and for our users. Um, Do you see it in a similar way or what nuance would you add, I guess, to that basic analogy there? Yeah, and uh, love the analogy. I think it, it to to us here at NLP Logics that really resonates uh, as with what we're seeing. Um, you know, we we've delivered a lot of solutions over the years in that kind of that land and expand mentality where uh, people want to get into AI and ML, and they kind of start by bolting it on or sprinkling it on top, like you had alluded to in the yep. pizza analogy. And we see a lot of value in kind of getting started through that that uh, approach because 
you know, you kind of, you kind of, you know, start slowly. You oftentimes very, you know, learn a lot about um, the data you're collecting and what's possible with it. And, you know, honestly, what's not possible with it at that point. Um, and then a lot of times what we've seen is, is catching that V next, that, that big overhaul of the platform or, or kind of the big next iteration, um, you know, taking and, and really putting the AI concepts and what was learned in that first iteration kind of, you know, again, with the lasagna analogy, great analogy is kind of baking it in and baking the application around some of those key uh, learnings and, uh, and advancements. Cool. Um, and, and so, uh, continuing with this, uh, with this, uh, pizza and lasagna shebang here, um, there is a lot of value in sometimes that first pizza phase, as you talked about some things that can get picked up. And we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of off microphone, maybe we don't know if we're predicting inventory or, or we're predicting, um, some kind of other result for our customer or something like that. We might not have any idea of, precisely which sources of data, which features among that data are actually going to have the predictive value to help to improve the product. So maybe sometimes that playing at the surface can be useful for that. Talk a little bit about what can be learned at more of that getting started phase. When we're kind of in the crawl, walk, run, the earlier parts of that phase, um, what can we learn at the surface? uh, and, And what have you guys seen as kind of, I guess, the big takeaways there? Yeah, some of our big takeaways, you know, uh, we we like to start with, um, you know, when we get a fresh problem or like kind of a fresh data set and um, the use case, what's possible is not well known. Uh, we like to start with uh, something we call a 10Q, which is kind of um, start with some assumptions, have the customer give some assumptions of what they think is true about the data, what they would like to predict, what they think from their experience is uh predictive so just get gather their information get some assumptions it's always really fun and then um, we kind of iterate on that and test some assumptions explore the data Uh, something we've learned time and time again is um, half the assumptions that even experts have to make you know people work with the data all day are wrong and we kind of highlight that, and, and it's a good way for everybody to get on the same page with what um, with what's in the data and what's not in the data. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then from that kind of nice starting point, oftentimes simpler models to get going are, are kind of some quick wins and some good way to get some traction early. And, and we've had a lot of success with that. Cool. And, and, you know, when it comes to finding those initial hypotheses, this is really critical because we're going to talk about when this makes its way into the next phase when we kind of start to rethink the nature of the product itself. But of course, lots to be learned. So um, like you said, even when experts are in the room, experts in the data, experts in the subject matter area, oh, hey, you know, this factor or feature about customer purchases is going to be the biggest thing that leads to sales, you know, like, or, uh, oh, uh, you know, our machines tend to break down under these circumstances. Even the folks that are really close to it, many times, you know, their opinions are super important, but geez, they just don't line up actually with what the data has to say. And if we don't have the data, even experts can be wrong. So how do you make sure to get the most value out of those early conversations when you have that kind of collaboration to say, because in in order for you guys to do deeper work, you got to have those initial wins. How do you put on the table the right um, uh, initial hypotheses to tease out value? And what do you do as kind of an exercise to make that happen? Yeah, and and the exercise for that is, um, is, 
you know, again, we use this 10Q framework, which is gather those theories, what people think are true. It's fun to ask your customer, give me the five things you're most confident in. Give me five confident statements about your data. Um, and, uh, and then we take that and then, you know, we oftentimes uncover insights and those, that's really just even before the modeling, a lot of those insights are really just descriptive on just, you know, um, count and measure what people think and then come back and, and, um, come back with the data and show them how, um, you know, whatever notions they have might not be true. Huh. So, okay. So is this, is this part of the discovery process is, um, and I imagine this is well before any kind of pilot. It's all right. We know what we're, by this point, I presume you probably know their general set of problems. You know, we, we want to be better at predicting this. We want to be able to proactively do that, whatever. Um, but you haven't decided exactly on the how yet. What you're saying is that part of the exploration process is, okay, we haven't wrangled the data. We haven't even done our pizza toppings yet, you know, but you got toppings lying around. What do you know for sure about them? And then what Uh you go off is you see what you can validate there and you figure out which of even those initial assumptions are right and wrong. Do you find that that often blooms into a greater convo around, Hmm. Okay. What are the other data sources? What are the other assumptions? What are the other factors or features of the data? Is this part of like a broader exploration process or what, what kind of catalyzed value do you get there? Yeah. And, and we actually do, you know, we do frame it as a discovery. And so, um, that's exactly how we do it is we say, Hey, um, you know, instead of just a discovery where we just workshop and talk about what we think we want to do and what we think we know, we put the data at the center of it, still have some of those workshops, catalog what we think we know, but then also, uh, you know, the, the deliverable at the end of it is a... Um, is a white paper on what we thought we knew and what we learned. And a lot of times as we learn, we, we ask a few new questions. We learn what is, you know, when we do get to building some modeling uh, or adding the modeling, we can um, identify the features that are important, what we thought are important. And a lot of time that drives a good conversation about, well, if that's important, we have this other data or we can acquire this other data or uh, what if we added this in, how would that work? And, and and that's how a lot of these projects get started. Got it, got it. Okay, so the initial sort of give us what you're sure about process allows you to kind of help to construct that white paper around what we thought we knew, what we did know, what directions seem promising, and then we can start to open up what feels more promising. Well, we found that the the most predictive data set we already have was these things. We're not even collecting it from these second other customer interfaces. We might want to think about that before this project gets started or or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, like, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a fun one because, you know, right, we we want to get going usually because yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of value in the first model. And then I, a lot of times it's incremental and potentially diminishing. And so we like to get a good, healthy roadmap of, hey, we have enough today to, to add value. Here's how we're calculating ROI and then put the customer on the journey of uh, you know, your business is changing, you're adding enhancements to your application. How do we get that into the model? How do we uh, support and maintain the model? How do we calibrate the model health and make sure that we have 
um, you know, we, we have stop gaps in place. You know, yep. we have a, a model health scorecard to make sure that the, the things we thought were true when we put the model in production are still true months, weeks, whatever later and, and do that all up front. Okay, got it. So, and this is actually kind of an important concept because I can imagine uh, the things that are going to carry forward to become more baked into the nature of the product itself are going to be the things that we actually feel pretty darn confident are consistently able to work, and they haven't started to stray or sway or uh, uh, drift uh, in in the, the the technical term there in any way that's going to uh, kind of violate the outcomes that we're looking for. Um, so, if I'm hearing you correctly, I'll, I'll try to nutshell this, and then maybe you can add a bit more detail, and then we'll talk about the lasagna transition, if you will. Uh, sure. Our, our listeners are getting a lot of a lot of food references today. Uh, unusually high number of food references. So, um, so what I what I it sounds like is happening is you get started with an initial project. You figure out what are going to be those early predictive things. You've kind of weeded out some things. You've doubled down on others. Um, you build this scorecard up front before even this kind of whole pilot takes place. And then when and how are you checking in on this? Just as a, a concept. Yeah, so the the scorecard, um, the concepts for the scorecard are very much identified up front as far as, um, you know, we we feel like having a good idea around what is acceptable drift and what isn't, uh, completeness of features, any any, uh, drift in the Y hat or, you know, if we get the the whys back or have a process to get accuracy integrated into it too, we feel like... If you don't do that up front, then it's it's easier to get down the road and be, well, I don't know, that doesn't look so bad or, or why, you know, have have the assumptions of what you thought should be true when you built the model and then have a framework in place or a process in place to reevaluate it and then um, and then address it. And so our you know, it does vary from model to model that we build. But I would say uh, at, a, at, um, at probably the most frequent right now, we're looking at like a weekly health check where we're looking at, um, you know, the number one feature we see is completeness. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's something that was present all of a sudden as null. And that was a key feature. And things like that are um, easy to detect and also easy to, to get um you know, the, you know, a little bit different results in the wild. So we look at that thing weekly. We have a process built in to, um, to have, um, you know, scheduled touch points with the customer to talk about model health. And then what we find is um, at the end of the day, a lot of what the customers wants to know is, do I need a retrain or a rebuild? Hmm. And, you know, we've got parameters on how we make recommendations on retrain, rebuild, how to think about that and to help them figure out, you know, when it makes sense and, and how, how to go about that. Okay. So when it's right to take one path or the other there. Um, so, okay. So you define those things up front and then I presume those that feel strong, they're adding value. Uh, eventually, again, are going to make their way into a deeper uh, version of the product, so to speak. When and how does that happen? So obviously, sometimes uh, a, a, a big digital product will just kind of need a rebuild because it's chunky, it's old, the code's too ratty at this point, and we just need to, to uh, rebuild the thing. Maybe other times, it's so self-evident that to keep up with competition, we absolutely just have to be integrating uh, you know, some of these predictive capabilities, and it, it just must be done. Talk a little bit about when that tipping point happens from pizza to lasagna, um, and then what has to be done to make that a successful move? 
Yeah, and I can I can talk about some of the drivers of what we've seen. I will say that, um, and just very recently, a driver has been competition, has been other competitors to our customer in the marketplace. Um, you know, honestly, marketing drives a lot of this. So whether or not the customer has it or not, um, you know, they have an offering and our customer has to address it yeah. in, in some manner. And yeah. so it's a little bit of an arms race. Um, but that, you know, for our business, that's a great thing. Um, so that that is some of it. I, I would say that, um, and this is for some of our existing customers, I think that um, it literally... I think the putting AI at the heart of the product conversation is fundamentally a different product than the bolt-on. And yes, so yes. The, what you thought and what you had and how things worked, it's not like it's just – and I, I feel pretty strongly like the the learnings and the, the topping mode, which becomes the core of, you know, the V-next and next-gen – like the the whole product, you just think about it, talk about it differently. And when you start to have those conversations is when you start to get from our experience is when you start to see the traction of, of the, you know, the, the crawl, walk, run. When the crawl and walking is starting to, you know, hey, what about this? And is this possible? Is this possible? I think that naturally leads to boy, if we approached it in this other way and thought AI first and layered in the features and the application around it, now what, now what does it look like? And from our experiences, it, it looks, it looks different, you know, it's just a different type of conversation. Yeah. I mean, does, when you say different, does it mean you need different people in the room as opposed to when you're doing a rebuild for purely IT and not AI? Does it mean um, we need to tie it to strategy in kind of a different way. What are those factors that make it, uh, you know, you come from kind of the application development world even before, uh, you know, growing the firm that you're in now. How does it differ maybe from some of the bigger projects you had done then? Yeah, it's a really, really, really good question because um, I do think it's a it, it's a different mindset. So different people in the room, um, I do think that that is a very good um a very good talking point because you know the a lot of traditional application development i i put it as you know i, I kind of describe it a lot of times as linear and, and pretty predictable and people are pretty good at thinking about creating technology to capture data and facilitate things um, but the whole concepts of what's possible with ai and ml i think that that is it's still so new and so different that um, I, I do think it is different people, probably not the same people that, you know, have been building, you know, next generation web-based applications. They're, they're still thinking about it as, you know, in kind of a traditional mindset. Whereas I think some of what we see from the AI ML is, hey, we don't need to do these functions anymore, or we can do them in such a drastically different way because portions are automated or, um, you know, the experience can be so much different because we don't have to go this route anymore because we have these new capabilities. Um, is, so as part of that, in terms of who's in the room, Matt, as far as it, 
we'd hope to have some in-house data science folks in the room. Maybe that's that's part of the mix. The other things that we often hear come up in these kinds of conversations, just having a bajillion interviews, is um, around expectation setting and kind of the, the process of building. There, there's there's maybe a way, if, if everything's hard-coded, and uh, even then it's never easy to predict uh, when and how things will be built, but if everything's hard-coded, we don't need to bake in the necessity to iterate. But if we're, if we're doing AI, even if we've done some of the crawl-walk stuff first, which is very smart, which you've talked about, um, even then, if we're taking that to the next level or we're embedding that in a new interface or it's interacting with users in a slightly different way, there's going to be iteration cycles. There might be a, a couple ways we're going to take a stab at this, and it's actually normal that some mm. of those aren't going to work out. Some of them are, and it's going to take time to figure that out. But if you've never heard that, if everything you've built yeah. has been pure IT, that sounds to you not like building a new capability, which we talk about actually three kinds of ROI, measurable, strategic, and capability ROI. We should sometimes see these investments as building a new capability. It's very important. But if we don't have that in mind and we're just looking at dollars and time today, we may say, that looks like it's too much bother. What are we doing with all this? So what, what what does it look like to kind of calibrate expectations around a rebuild that requires this iteration step? Yeah, that very good, very good uh, uh, talking point there, because this is something that we talk about a lot with our customers, which is, and I'll, I'll go back to the application development analogy. You know, if you swing by, you know, if I'm building a form to collect address information, if you stop by my desk at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, you'll have first name, last name. That's it. You come back at noon, you'll have my address, you'll have validation, you'll have buttons. It's linear-ish and predictable. I'm going to make progress on it today and you're going to be able to see, you know, the progress. And so we we talk about that because everybody understands that. And then we, we say, hey, in AIML, you know, we call them sideways weeks. Hey, we could have a sideways week. You got to be ready for a sideways week, which means we uh, we tried something that we thought was a good idea, and we put it through the paces, and it didn't. You know, it didn't work out like we thought we like we thought it would. Oftentimes, we learn something. Yep. And you know, we're gonna have a better experiment or a better next step, but you know, it's, it's a sideways week. You didn't see, we didn't get to where we wanted to get to. And that happens. Yep. And so is, is there conversations up front? Are there ways that you like to frame that conversation? Because I think anybody that's done AI a number of times is totally aware. Iteration, experimentation, um, is, is a big part of learning, which absolutely should be seen as part of the ROI of an AI project. But if we're new and we've just been doing IT, it just feels like an unnecessary hurdle. Is there a way that you like to talk about this? Like, do you just let them know, hey, look, AI is going to involve sometimes hitting these kinds of weeks. That's normal. That's natural. Um, is there a way where you pr- kind of pre-frame that to make it not feel as much like a, like a detriment? Yeah, I would say that, you know, one thing that we do have, um, you know, is is experience. So 10 years, 11 years in this field, um, we've, we feel like we have a good experience base across lots of different modeling types where we can give our customers a pretty good linear path through some modeling exercises. So, you know, we all know some problems are harder than other ones, but, you know, we think we can give we can give a linear path through predictable linear path through a, a lot of modeling. And then the ones that we are less sure on, um, what we like to do is be really transparent with the customer and bring them kind of through the journey with us, um, which is, I think it's helpful because if 
if they come along, they can see and they can learn. And a lot of times, you know, they have domain expertise that, that we might not have and they add a lot of value. Um, so that's, that's kind of, you know, kind of the two paths is, yeah, is, is we can actually turn it linear because we have a, a good experience base. And if we aren't confident in that, we choose to usually bring the customer along um, just so they can, they can see um, the decisions and, and feel like they're a part of the process. Cool. Yeah. The co- co-creation is a term that comes up time and time again with kind of vendor companies is really getting, having that buy-in through participation it ends up being pretty critical to, to move through, like you said, some of the hurdles, the sideways weeks, every product, you know, whether you're working at Amazon or you're working at Apple, no matter where you're going to have sideways weeks in AI, but being able to, to set that expectation, as you had said, important. Um, uh, a point to close on here that I think might be a good way to, to, take some of this in an actionable direction. You guys have been at it for a little over 10 years now. There's folks that are tuning in who are just going to be sort of making their way into crawl walk. Um, Maybe they're in a big company like a a big life sciences firm or a bank somewhere. Maybe they're in a mid-sized company, whatever. They're going to start leveling up some of their digital products uh, to be more AI enabled. Um, What are some of the early bits of advice that you would give them that maybe like some of what your most successful clients have had in common? What are some of the things they should bear in mind to have the best chance at a great ROI with those early projects? Yep. And I would say, and I think we've touched on this too, but, but definitely the expectations. Um, You know, I think back to, it is probably a, probably eight, nine, 10 years ago, but when IBM Watson bought the masters, they bought every, you know, no commercials in the masters except Mm. for once an hour was IBM Watson. And it was great. All of a sudden everyone knows AIML, but then at the same time they were sold this really high bar of uh, look at everything that's possible. And um, it's, you know, getting the expectations in line and really starting with something that is small and uh, and build on it is what I think we've seen that over and over everywhere we've been is start start with something small start with modeling techniques that are well understood um, you know the the newest thing that Google brain did yesterday let that settle for a little bit <laughs> yeah. before you you know you try to pour that into your product got it okay so uh have a firm enough understanding to know what's real, what's not, be able to set that expectation with the leadership team so that nobody's thinking there's any magic bullets here, and consider what that logical smaller step is that doesn't involve the wildest tech, but simply involves, you know, a simple way to integrate AI that, that might be that might be valuable. Yeah, and you know, you know, I like the saying too, you know, ask the question, you know, what can you do without AI anyway? Because sometimes totally. there's things you can do if you don't need it. Um there's a lot there's a lot of good there's also a lot of overhead um so yeah start small start simple and uh, be pragmatic i guess yeah is is ai the right tool for the job is definitely a er, early on the question list for the enterprise folks that are tuned in and you've given them a couple other bits of actionable advice here as well so i know that's all we had for time matt but i appreciate you joining us on the show thanks so much for being here yeah thank you i very much enjoyed it that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. Many of you who have just listened to this episode will see 
AI solutions make their way from a pizza topping to being baked in like lasagna. And hopefully now you will know what we mean by that. Again, it was a throwback analogy to a very old episode and one that I was happy to be able to bring back in this digital products theme with Matt today. As I mentioned before, this episode was brought to you by NLP Logics. If you'd like to learn more about how Emerge works with AI product and services companies, firms who want to reach a global enterprise audience focused on AI transformation, you can go to emerj.com slash ad1. That's ad like advertise and then the number one, emerj.com slash ad1 and learn more about what we do for sponsored content, thought leadership, demand generation, custom research, and more with AI vendors big and small. Again, that's emerj.com slash ad and then the number one. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.